0: and good morning Uh, I am going to go totally off the rails I had prepared a talk but after walking in and seeing the group ready to throw it away this will be fun as you know um, you might not know I'm from Louisiana born and raised in Baton Rouge went to university school and university high school on the LSU campus, walked across the street, and went to college. And what I want to share today is just what I call um, breakthroughs or game changers in my life, where things happened, and I didn't know know why, but they happened, and it it literally changed my directions. Um, At LSU, four great things happened to me. Um, I had three, and then I walked in the room and things changed. First thing was I met my wife, Susan. Uh, she was you know, just amazing. Some of y'all know her, and she did go to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. Uh, and because of her influence, my life was drastically changed. Secondly, I met my brother-in-law at LSU, my brother-in-law in Christ, and that's Paul Revere. Paul came to speak at a, a national student leadership conference we had on campus. And that's where we met. And Paul has moved here to Nashville 35 years ago, Ever how long, a long time. Uh, and he, he and Susan were brother and sister in Christ, and he's my best friend. And it's just been a, such a special thing to have him here. The third thing, because of that conference, I got a chance to hear Francis Schaefer. Some of y'all know Francis Schaeffer, a Swiss theologian, who was, he was really in tune with all the college unrest during the 60s and 70s. And he was in Switzerland, and he spoke and he just and I was, you know, he's a theologian, really an extreme, if you ever read his books, I mean, he's way off the charts. And I was just a little country boy, but I got to go to the conference. And at that conference, he just said something that changed my life. I'd never thought about it. And he talked about truth and absolutes. I'd never thought about what is true. And then, are those absolute? They don't change. Well, that affected my life literally forever. The third thing that happened at LSU is I joined a company called the Southwestern Company, Southwestern Publishing Company here in Nashville. I went, up, went out and sold books during the summer. Now, some of y'all are familiar with Southwestern. It's like the second oldest company in Nashville. I sold books door-to-door during my college summers. And my first year I did horrible, and there's lots of reasons. I did horrible every year, come think of it, but. (laughs) um, (laughs) Duh. Um, But I, I, I didn't do well. And I felt so guilty. God let the man down, you know. I signed up before I got home to come back the next summer. And during the school year, I got real involved and uh, having a great time. With all my old wisdom, I decided, you know, I don't I don't think I should go sell books that next summer. I want to stay and go to summer school. I need to go to summer school. And I went home. I, I lived on campus, but we lived 10 miles away. So I went home. And uh, my dad was there, sitting on the porch, reading the paper. And my dad had sold books for Southwestern for eight summers. He met my mother on the book field in West Virginia. But he was sitting, and he and I had never really talked about it. Uh, and I said, Dad, I think, uh, <clears throat> I, think I, I think I need to go to summer school this coming summer. He didn't even look up from the paper. He said, I thought you gave your word to that man in Nashville. Well, that just, duh, yeah, that changed my, life, changed my character. It was another stake in the ground. And obviously, and then I spent five summers selling books. <laughs> and then I came to Nashville and worked for six years as a sales manager. Uh, but him speaking to me like that, and that's the only thing he said. I came to Nashville, and uh, Susan and I got married that, that at the end of that first summer. And I was just a workaholic. The we now we we have well, I have three sons, but now I have four sons, which you'll understand in a few minutes. Um, I stayed with Southwest in 1978. I went into real estate as an agent. Uh, joined a company called Pace Setter in 1980, uh, and that was during you know when the rates went 18 uh, percent. Had my best year ever, mainly because I had to, uh, and we and I worked. And nobody, you know, most people weren't working. We joined ERA. We bought a franchise in, I think, 1982, because I was just goggly-eyed about all the stuff they had to offer. Over those last, those next 14, 15 years, um, the company did well. We were, um, and I discovered, well, I discovered this really later, um, but in 1994, We had like 18 agents, but we were one of the top companies in the country. Uh, I had been so blessed to to have so many good people. Um, I found out that, you know, at Southwestern, my people always outsold me. I just, I I never thought about that, but God had given me a gift of being able to recruit people better than me. And uh, at Southwestern, we did great. And then it, in real estate, we did great until 1994. Um, and then at that point, ERA uh, decided to run an experiment. And out of all the 1,800 companies in the country, they chose our company to be the guinea pig and they asked if we would do it. Well, we were honored and flattered but we didn't know what that meant. Over the next 18 months, uh, we tried all kinds of things. We went from 18 agents to 100 agents, uh, which was sound good, but for me it wasn't because it it literally broke me. Uh, Because my wiring was to be real intense with a few great people. Paul was one of them. And uh, so that year, we had the national convention here at Opera Land. And I'll never forget, it was like, yeah, it lasted four or five or six days. And you know, the international team, there were team, uh, companies from all over the world here. And when they left, the day after, the, pulled out in the bus the day after the convention. I stayed home all day and cried all day. Literally. I was just exhausted, shot. Obviously Susan was very concerned. Everybody else was too, you know. Um, so I really, I didn't have a mental breakdown. just had an emotional breakdown. And then we started getting uh, somebody suggested I get counseling. So I went and met with a guy named Ken Cope. I don't know if any of y'all know Ken. Ken is extremely gifted. He's a mess, but he's still very gifted, um, most, which I find to be true for most people. Um, and so I met with Ken over 10 or 12, 15 weeks, and he had you know, spent an hour or two talking with me. And finally, the, like the 10th or 12th meeting, he said, Mac, I don't know how to tell you this. Uh, and, you know, can I tell you something? That I said, sure. <laughs> and he said, You're not a salesman. And that second, and I just realized somebody else knew <laughs> what I was or wasn't. And because I'd been in sales all my life, I uh, started in high school. And then he said, and you're not a manager. Well, that's what I'd done. And y'all, I can't tell you the relief that brought to me, knowing somebody else knew uh, who I was or who I wasn't. So Susan and I made a decision to exit. Uh, We drew a line in the sand said, by December, we're out of here regardless of whatever Uh, and god provided a gentleman to come run the company uh, and ken had said mac you never you never got to play as a child because we were always i was always working on the farm or selling books or whatever so i started i goofed off for a few years um Went to Europe and helped ERA over in Europe for a couple years uh, using my giftedness of recruiting. And during that time, um, Chip Maxwell, I don't know if anybody here knows Chip. Chip stood up in church one Sunday and said, uh, we're taking a group to Belize. If anybody was interested in going, come go with us. I'll go. You know, I had no idea where Belize was. I thought we were going to do construction, uh, and I was free at that point. I, I had, re- I had uh, quit working. I guess I should say I didn't quit. I didn't retire. I quit working, and, re- and then at that point, that's when I redirected my life to serving and going to Belize. We went down, had a vacation Bible school. That's the last thing I wanted to do. I'd never been to a VBS and it was amazing. Uh, well since then we've taken about a thousand people to Belize on mission groups uh, and I guess yes. You know, We started, you know, I I went down on my own some right after that big trip, the first trip, and started walking around, talking to people, meeting people, (laughs) making connections, uh, which is what I do, I found out. We, since that point, we've developed a bunch of ministries, uh, which have been incredible to, I mean, when you... I don't think ahead. I'm just not able to think ahead what this will be but it's turned out to be so much bigger than I ever imagined. Uh, we, started a, we started a little farm and uh, when, it, when I say a farm, it was supposed to be a, what was in the Originally it was a fish farm, we were going to raise fish. Somebody provided a piece of land, just a little piece of dirt in the middle of nowhere in the edge of the swamp and we didn't even know half of it flooded but that's okay um, and in Christ presence mission statement their mission statement is we are to follow Jesus in his mission of loving people places and things to life well this is the best example I know of of a place that's been loved to life we literally went into the jungle, started clearing, and uh, today we've had about little 300 men come to the farm to be helped with their addictions. Uh, we've got, you know, seven buildings built, and just it just keeps going. Because in Belize, alcoholism is a huge issue, which and what I'm learning. <laughs> In my older age, it's, it's a huge issue everywhere. Um, I, my my co-founder there, his name is Ismail Viejos, just a godly man who loves the Lord, who uh, lost his brother to alcoholism, uh, and has just destroyed his village. And he just made up his mind. He wanted to do something about it. I just came along and encouraged and helped and uh, supported and said, what can we, how can we do this? What can we do? Here's maybe some ideas where we can go. So we, uh, today, uh, we have the capacity for 12 men. That fluctuates. Uh, This year, we've been really blessed after COVID to have 12 men there. and I'm gonna share in the end a story from the, that last trip that we, Nancy and I took a couple of weeks ago. The, we also, um, somebody asked us to go visit a school which had been, it was in shambles. It was, um, it had been led by the church and then the, church, the guy that was leading it destroyed it. And then the parents asked the church to come back and take it over, and they did. And I met a lady named Ruth Koo, who was a phenomenal administrator. And she came to work there as principal. And at that point, it was number 48 out of 48 schools in the district. Today, it's number one. Uh, I had another lady come down, friend of my son's, Kimberly Carraway from here. Uh, an education specialist, really came and just fell in love with Ruth. And they've worked together and in 10 years they've totally turned that situation around. Now Ruth has left that system and is working with the government schools, which tend to be the lower success rates of the country. And we're trying to take the Belize Project and help, help support them. Uh, we started doing micro enterprises. We, because uh, everybody, you, every time you meet somebody, they say, "Can you get me a job? Can you get me a job?" And after a while, I realized there're not any jobs here. People are just trying to survive. So let's say let's create some jobs. And over the years, we've created a bunch of little small micro businesses. Uh, you know, we got into the fishing business, we got into chickens, we got into upholstery for furniture. Just little jobs that help one or two people have a living. And now it's you know, it's, I've been away for a few years. <laughs> um, it's, it's, I see it taking root and things are working, they're doing it on their own. So then another person, I don't know if any of y'all know Scott Real. Um, Scott created a thing called Journey to Freedom at the Nashville YMCA. It's, a, it's really basically a Christian 12 steps, and it, it's a program that helps people deal with their uh, addictions or whatever, and everybody's got something to deal with their life-controlling issues. Well, Scott, and I, I knew Scott from 45 years ago, you know, 50 years ago now. <laughs> barely, and we were on the, at the while on the treadmill one day talking to each other, and he said, what are you doing now, Dad? So I'm, I'm in Belize. I'd love to go to Belize. I said, come on, and he went down. We took Journey to Freedom there. Uh, we struggled with it for a few years trying to figure out how to get it to work in this country, and now uh, we, we took it into the prison they, they only have one prison there in Belize. It used to be one of the world's worst prisons, about 1,500 inmates, and now it's one of the world's best prisons. And Journey to Freedom has become their anchor in the prison for their rehabilitation. It's just been an amazing thing to watch. Uh, literally every prisoner in the prison has gone through the program. Uh, and that's just, you know, because I was on a treadmill and Scott Real was right here. <laughs> Just come on and go, he went. Uh, and now it's, you know, now we're spreading it through the country, we're taking it into the high schools. Um, and J- Belize is like every other place on earth. You know, there's lots of violence, lots of issues, lots of drugs, a lot of gangs, you know. Uh, and it's helping all these, uh, this program helps people get together and talk. And uh, just like y'all are doing here, talking about you know, life issues, and it's been amazing to watch. So these are the different programs we've started. Uh, and I did that y'all for like 14, 15 years, 16 years, whatever, uh, and then about four, four, four and a half years ago, my life changed drastically. That, that's when that's when Susan she had cancer and uh, just jerked my chain. you know uh, my life just totally turned at that, that minute. You know Belize had been real important to me I poured, poured my life into it. And then her uh, yeah, I realized that she was a lot more important. So I um, changed my life that day and let go of Belize. Other people picked up the ball and went with it. Uh, Spent 33 months with her, which was fabulous. I wouldn't give anything for those 33 months. she went to be with the Lord, and that was such a beautiful thing to watch. You know, a lot of people handle death different ways. And Susan uh, knew who, who she was and where she was going, and just basically had the attitude, Lord, if you want me to stay here, great. If you want me to go, great. And she she lived that through the last second of her life. And it was amazing to watch. Well, um, so I, you know, after she passed away, yeah, you know, I traveled, went around the world and did different things. And I had a, you a know, good few years. And during that time, we started a, we, me and two other ladies, started a widows and widower's group. Because we started finding, you know, there was a little niche of people that were um, in that situation. Some of y'all are in that situation. And they, we just said, let's, have a, let's go out to dinner once a month as a group, um, just for fellowship. Because You know, when you're going through grieving, loneliness is a big issue, huge issue. And uh, so we just started going out. During that time, uh, yeah, I was tra- did some traveling and uh, they did, too. We grew the group up to about 40 people. And in November, I guess it's two years ago now, almost two years, Paul called me and called me and said, have you ever met Nancy Huffaker? No. That same week, Bob Fitzpin called me and said, have you ever met Nancy Huffaker? No. Uh, That same two weeks, this is literally in two weeks time frame, my son called me, Clay, one of my sons. He said, have you ever met Nancy Huffaker? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Literally three times in two weeks. (laughs) Well, that at Christmas, we had a widows and widowers party at somebody's house. And I met Nancy Huffaker. Okay, And uh, she lived here in Franklin. She was a widow. She's the widow. I'm the widower. She uh, was a widow for like 12 years. And uh, we got married May 16th that next year. We had one of the first COVID weddings, which was uh, just a fabulous experience. And we just loved it. Just family. Uh, And we've been just learning about each other you know when you're when both of you have 70 plus years of habits, <laughs> habits are hard to change <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we're having fun and we're laughing about it and uh, and that but that's been great to, uh, to enjoy that that relationship and just learn to love her the, w- the way she is and ask her to love, love me the way I am. Uh, And uh, during these uh, last few months, I got to watch my time. These last few months, we uh, decided that we would go to Belize to see if we wanted to reengage because I'd shared with her. That's all I gonna talk about. And we went down this summer, went down twice, actually, and decided that we did want to reengage and do it a little different than we had done it before, because I would gotten so spread out, I was in danger of burning out again. And we decided just to focus on Jacob's Farm uh, to take that place. And because in Belize, y'all, they don't have rehabilitation. We were literally the first rehab. And I'll never forget when the national uh, drug guy came out to talk to us. And he said, y'all are our shining example. And at this point, we were just bush. I mean, like, huh? How bad off are y'all, yeah. you know? And then he, um, and he said, we just want to make sure y'all follow, you know, follow the standards and the rules. And when he was politician, talking. I finally, I raised my hand, like six of us there, and said, we'd be glad to follow the rules. Can you give us a copy of them? They didn't have anything. So we've worked with the country of Belize um, as partners you know, developing <laughs> their standards. And uh, that's been a wonderful journey. We Now the question comes up, okay, what I think somebody, Larry or somebody said, tell y'all what y'all can do. <laughs> well... Um, what could y'all do to be involved if you wanted to if you want to raise your hand and say yeah I'll go well first thing to do is, uh, is consider going you know if you'll go down there it will change your life uh, January 12 to 26 will be in country love for you to come down any time during that time and spend three or four or five ten days bring your bring your uh, spouse if you want and then your next, well, what would I do? <laughs> Come or doers. And you have to be honest with you, I don't know what you'll do. Because the way we approach things is when somebody like David says, I want to go, we try to find out what David's giftedness is. What does he, what's his specialty? And fit him into a program where he can help. Look at Larry and Wes, both in the publishing. Uh, we're trying to line up a whole new program of books for education for the little people. Did you know that? And I will talk about this some other time. Uh, it's called the Bedtime Stories Ministry. Did you know that 80% of your brain was developed by the age of two? Did you know that? That's scary, isn't it? Like, what? Is this all there is? Um, that, And all of our education starts at four, five, six, seven years old. Well, what we're doing is we're taking the Imagination Library, Dolly Parton's program, that idea, and developing the Belize Bedtime Stories and develop a system to be able to give a book to every baby in the country every month from zero to four years old to help their brains develop so they can learn. And that's a, that's a wonderful program. You know when your brain is 100 percent developed? I just found this out on the last trip. I was sitting in one of their counseling sessions, and your brain's, uh, when you're 25 years old is when your brain's fully developed. So I've got to turn this thing off. I think my time's about up. so. I don't need to get off on that track. So the first thing is to go. I would, we want to start a series there. There's something any of y'all can do where you would meet with the men on the farm, just sit around and talk like you do here and maybe talk, ask the subject of how to be a good father. What was your father like? Most, uh, or ask them uh, how to be a good husband, how to be a good son, how to be a good church member, just take a topic and listen to them and ask them and help them talk about things they've never talked about. Um, that's one thing that you can come do in January if you want to. And there's plenty of opportunity. The second thing, um, I had written down uh, to, to if you want to, if you don't want to go or can't go, help somebody else go different people in different financial situations. Help somebody else, say I want to donate $500 towards somebody's trip. Um, One thing we want to do, all these 300 men we've had at the farm, we've done this without electricity. There's no electricity there. We're in the wilderness. And when you have 12 men who are addicts or something, that's not safe. So we've become convicted we need to get electricity we need to get $70,000 to get permanent electricity on the farm. Maybe somebody here wants to give 70,000, you never know. I asked for a tractor one time, thinking nobody would ever give a tractor, and next week somebody gave a tractor, okay. Uh, Or if you want to contribute toward that, getting permanent electricity, that will change the farm drastically. This last trip, now, the way y'all would do that is through the BelizeProject.org website. This last trip, Nancy went with me, and she, I believe she started a new ministry, not even knowing it because she didn't know what she would do. I said, why don't you just talk with the men and hear their stories? And Nancy's a planner. We had written down 12 questions. She had them printed up and given them to them, you know? Like, Nancy, you're just trying to talk, to talk with them. She interviewed all these men, spent four days all day interviewing, just talking with them, sitting by themselves. And again, they opened up like they'd never opened up before. Uh, all of them shared about their families, how they, had, they felt so guilty for what they had done and how they destroyed their families. They wanted their children back. They wanted their wives back. All of them said, I didn't plan on being an alcoholic. I didn't set a goal. This is what I'm going to do with my life. Uh, I made a bad choice day one because of advertising and did something that I thought was good and it turned out to to grab me and where it wouldn't let go and then destroyed everything I had. And the last thing that we picked up on this trip, I hadn't heard this in over 50 trips, most of the men there, there were 12 of them, said, I want to learn more about this Jesus that y'all are talking about on the farm. I want to know more about this God because Jacob's Farm is a Christian-based rehabilitation center and their takeaway, their their desire over the six months they lived there was they want to know more more about Jesus. Uh, Some of them have already given their life to Jesus and but, but seeing that change occurring these men who are from anywhere from nineteen years old up to fifty was amazing because that's what it's all about is how can Jesus change somebody's life and I would love for you to come see that, talk with them, learn from them, share your story, and hear their story. We don't do enough of this of listening. So thank y'all for listening. <laughs> this time my time is up. I'll say afterwards if you have any questions. Um, that's it. <laughs> Merry Christmas.